uh, many people have come back and said, why did you stick with me? Why are you the way you are? Why is why are the people in your firm that way? Why is it so family oriented? And if I haven't done my work well, then that never happens. So why would I ever imagine doing anything less than excellent work for a client if that is going to be the means of earning the opportunity to share the, uh, the worldview and the perspective I have that's been given to me by Christ? Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. According to the CDC, there were nearly 750,000 divorces in the U.S. in 2019, affecting well over a million people. The vast majority of these separations were ugly, terribly painful, and forced people to make a host of major decisions under duress. Tonight, we'll get a divorce attorney's perspective on divorce. We'll be talking to Dana Carlson, a partner at the Hale Ball Law Firm in Fairfax, Virginia. I was pointed to Dana this past year while helping a friend navigate a divorce, along with other serious issues like depression and alcoholism. During a handful of interactions, I was struck by Dana's competence, compassion, and how available he made himself to the cause of helping my friend. I figured who better to help us get a sense for the challenges faced by divorced lawyers. Dana, welcome to Grace and 30. Well, thank you, Ed. It's good to be visiting with you. So I got to ask right out of the gate, how do you do what you do? How do you deal with what I have to believe is a constant stream of clients who are going through one of the worst things to happen to them in their lives, and they're often at their worst behavior? Well, I sat at the foot of my mother for growing up back in Michigan and she was a counselor, a lay counselor in our local Baptist church. And she brought into our home people who were struggling, suffering, and uh, it became a norm. So I saw it from the earliest times as a child uh, in our dining room. So that's uh, sort, sort of what it grew upon me. I saw that uh, these people were really suffering, and my heart eventually turned toward helping them. So did you decide to become a divorce lawyer at that point, or were you sort of thinking, I want to help people, and then you found your way into this profession later on? Uh, one of my uncles, my father's brother, was a lawyer in the Detroit area, and uh, he was the sort of uncle that you want to grow up and be like. Um, very uh, open and compassionate. He was um, an engineer with Pontiac Division in uh, Detroit. And uh, we would spend a lot of time together, our families. And so the modeling of his um, interaction with people was something that I was drawn to. And uh, he was a very loving man. So the wedding together of counseling helping and, uh, first of all, becoming uh, a, a really competent lawyer, those strands came together to form division. And that's why I ended up at George Mason University back in 1978. You know, I went through a divorce about 13, 13 and a half years ago. 
So I got a lot of experience with attorneys. My wife had a couple different attorneys. Um, I've had experience over my life with other issues, estate issues and things. And, and I've sort of become, this is my thing at the tip of my spear is, is talking to people about divorce and trying to help them. And you really are a unique person in, in, in terms of how you help people and, and interact with people. And I, I just, you know, that's, that's why I'm curious why you went into divorce, divorce law, because I have friends who are lawyers that some of them are general counsels at tech companies and other places. And when I was searching for a lawyer years ago, they, they sort of told me, Hey, it's, it's, it's tough to find people because a lot of people don't want to go into divorce law because it's really just this drumbeat of difficulty with people all day, every day. It's a challenge. And I, I just wonder, how do you keep your sanity with this? I, again, I have to imagine the people you're dealing with are, are not at their best behavior. No, they're not. Um, typically, the issues that are presented are very few in number. The facts are uh, very complex and unique to each case. And within each case, you have the perspective of each separate spouse, sometimes the teenage child. Sometimes you have unintended patients, as the, <laughs> as the term is used, parents. Uh, there's a lack of leaving and cleaving. But Generally, um, I try to identify what the agenda has been for each of the spouses and the agenda come from their, um, their life experiences, their story, their identity. And um, like Paul Tripp says in his book on marriage, uh, one of the most important commitments to make going into marriage is to identify and join in on the same agenda, which is of course, to uh, become Christ-like in character over the years through lots of conflict, looking at conflict as a productive means of um, becoming one together. So I'm launching into some theology there, but theology is never far away from my conscious counseling with people as I listen to their stories. So... So what's the most important thing you try to get across to your clients uh, that they have a hard time because of what they're going through comprehending? Well, I think they need to focus on what they can change. They need to identify that. Sometimes uh, they haven't identified the obstacles to change. And when I say change, sometimes it's um, becoming aware that their spouse has, if you will, thrown the toggle switch and has decided that he or she doesn't want the marriage. And oftentimes Christians come in to discuss uh, how to force that spouse or manipulate that spouse back into the marriage. Um, and so for them to uh, acknowledge that they, they're not ordained to change their spouse, uh, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we have a phrase we toss around in the uh, the domestic relations section of the firm that there's a thing called marriageology where you elevate the marriage, the benefits of the marriage above the relationship with God and it becomes an idol. And marriage is temporal. It, um, it's something that the Lord uses to uh, draw us close to him and to develop Christ-like character. It is bumpy, it is difficult, um, and it doesn't work if it's a contract. Um, it has to be a covenant. And um, so that's, 
for those who are believers, those who are regenerated and have tasted the spirit, these are words that really take some time to process. Um, and I give them that. I, I never advise people to get a divorce. That's a decision that they have to make. They have to make with their circle of counselors or their elders. Um, but when it occurs that that is the course they choose to take, um, with the exception of cases where I just think they're being disobedient, in which case I, I withdraw. Um, if it is a case where I believe that they're, they're not disobeying the express written word, then we proceed and we try to do it in, um, in forms that save the, the estate, the financial uh, assets, and uh, minimize as much as possible the, the scarring or the vandalization of, of the uh, people involved, the children in particular. So it sounds like one of the things you're trying to do is get people to kind of wake up there. You know, the scripture says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. We have an infinite capacity to fool ourselves. You, you try to wake people up to the fact that, yeah, this, this, this may be over. Your spouse may have left and, and, and you have to accept that reality and try to work through the situation in the best way possible. Is that, is a fair representation? Yes, it is. I, I, I have to intone that there's usually uh, a fair amount of emotional immaturity that is part of a divorce within one or both of the parties that they've responded in the flesh. They've responded in um, sort of the patterns or the, the layered up reactions uh, that come from avoiding criticism of uh, becoming defensive uh, internally first and then expressing that defense defensiveness uh, later on. And finally withdrawing um, in various ways in the relationship. So when they they visit lawyers, um, they're pretty well scripted. They have a pretty good idea of the wrongs they've had perpetrated against them. And to get them aware that, um, especially if you're going to appear in front of a judge, the judge is not going to start out with that perspective. The judge is going to be um, acutely aware that both parties have defenses and he's going to hear a lot of negative incidents. Um, and typically judges do not want negative incidences to be uh, what they hear. They, they want to know solutions. And so for, for a person to come to a point where they're turning the corner and looking at what the solution is, there sometimes has to be um, a recognition that they've reacted emotionally immature in certain ways. And a person can react emotionally immature and not sin. Uh, they're just acting emotionally immature. They haven't grown up in certain ways for whatever reasons, or maybe the Lord is taking them through this to, uh, to mature them in various ways. Uh, sometimes that's hard to accept as a Christian that divorce can actually have um, aspects to it that cause the Christian to grow, grow in Christ-likeness. Um, yeah, you're, you're really speaking to the choir here because I'm um, preaching to the choir because, I mean, we all spend in marriages, we're pointing at each other all the time, trying to point out the flaws in the other person, and they're trying to point out the flaws in us. And the, the only thing for me, when Diane left me, it, it was so severe to me emotionally that it woke me up and I started to focus on myself and what I needed to change in me and try to see her through more graceful, forgiving eyes. That is a very hard thing to do 
when when people are attacking each other and you're going through courts and everything else, it's difficult. I want you to tell people what what would you like people, clients or any people in general to understand about divorce lawyers? Well, a divorce lawyer is under an ethical code. And uh, if if you were to start a conversation with a lawyer, just happen to meet him or her in, in a restaurant and there's a casual conversation, one of the things that you're struck with is that they see their duty, first of all, to zealously advocate. And um, when a lawyer is zealously advocating for a client, there's going to be an avoidance of part of the reality of the relationship the parties have struggled with in their marriage that relate to the negative contributions that uh, the client has uh, has made to the marriage, to the relationship. So it's one-sided. And the first couple of meetings that a client has with an attorney can end up from, from the from the retrospective position, maybe a half a year later, to look like a sales job because the attorney is focusing and harvesting in conversation with the client all of the positive things. And until you have an attorney who is intrepid and says, hey, if your wife or your spouse was sitting here, what would they have to say about that? What, what is their agenda? What, what would they raise as negative incidents? Until you can have that frank conversation with your client, uh, you're not being fair eventually to that client in adequately assessing the, uh, the dynamics of the case. The issues in the case are being uh, somewhat uh, rosy colored um, as you develop an understanding of, of, of what's caused the separation. And um, so typically, I try to be rather um, candid and blunt about um, some of the statements that are made just to knock the client back a little bit on her heels or his heels and say, you know, we're going to be working in a reality-based uh, assessment of the marriage and an evaluation of your issues. And we have to be that way in order to get really solid solutions to um, present to the other side. And now, is that common with every lawyer or are you kind of an exception in that area? Is that a rarity or is that something more common than I realize? I don't think it's particularly common among um, lawyers early on in their career. Many of the uh, well-experienced lawyers that I know personally in Northern Virginia have attained this. And uh, this is without regard to whether or not the lawyer is a religious person, a theistic a worldview person or not. Uh, you can have a, a person who's a soft agnostic, a dear friend of mine, and uh, we would share this same uh, philosophical view of the interaction of an attorney and a client that you do not have the client's best interests down to the core at heart if you haven't mastered the ability to go in and uh, confront the client, and, and typically the sooner the better, in terms of some of the expectations, the notions, and even um, aspects of that client's identity that clearly are, um, are wrong, uh, that miss the mark, 
that are even possibly delusional to some extent. Um, you know, often I find with Christian men, they come in and they've had this mantle uh, on them, this, this burden actually, where they believe that the peace of the home, the quiet peace of the home is their responsibility. And so there's a measure of passivity that they've been practicing in regard to a wife who's crying out, complaining, um, who's saying, I need help. And um, maybe in her personality features, launches at him. And um, so they're, they're responsible for the peace. Now, what may not be confronted about that is um, inappropriate, immature, maybe even sinful aspects of the expressions of the wife. And maybe that's not the time to deal with it when she's actually expressing it, um, especially if it's in front of the children. But the man never gets around to doing that, never confronting her. And over a long period of time, the dynamics of that kind of interaction um, suggest that she has to ratchet up the confrontation, ratchet up the, uh, the manipulation to get any action out of the guy. Um, and one of the most important things I find missing in those types of relationships are outside eyes. Um, I, I don't believe that an H and a W, a husband and wife, were meant to go through marriage on their own and solve all their problems on their own. And I'm not suggesting that they necessarily, necessarily appeal to their family of origin because of the bias. But husbands need other men and women need other women to speak truth, to open up the rooms of their hearts to each other, to allow the Holy Spirit in a grace-filled manner to sweep out those rooms of fear and insecurity, um, unmet expectations. And in the course of those marriages, you see growth, in fact, women spurting ahead of their husband and then the husband catching up and spurting ahead of them and drawing them closer, um, as it were in a, uh, almost a two, you know, a three-legged race. Um, but in divorces, you, you seldom, seldom see, um, circumstances where both of the parties have had groups that have been, um, of that spiritual profile. Yeah, that's. I'm. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's one of the biggest lessons, if not the biggest lesson, from my divorce is, I didn't have community. I was isolated. I wasn't hanging around with the the right guys and the ones I was hanging with. It was. It was seldomly we were together, and I. I it just destroyed me because I needed people to to pull me aside when I'm complaining or whatever and say, Hey, did you hear yourself? You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and of course, He died for the church. We don't like to think like that, men. We want to be leaders in our homes, but not do that dying for the other person thing. I'm curious what the single greatest insight into human nature is that you've gained working as a divorce attorney, working with people going through these sort of situations over the years. Is there, is there one thing that stands out above others? Oh, my. I think in the end to love the unlovely um, and doing that in each and every relationship you have with a client. Um, and I turn that around and I imagine the grace that has been poured into my life 
through the members at Cherrydale Baptist, all going all the way back to Midway Baptist in Waterville, Michigan, my parents. The, the grace that has been poured into my life, for which I can take no credit, is what's needed with the person in that person's life who sits across from me. And I do not see myself as in any other shoes than them, but for the grace of God. What is the biggest insight you've had into God working as a divorce attorney? God is sovereign over the times that we're in rebellion and in sin. God's sovereign over the circumstances when we express our emotional immaturity, our reaction, reactivity, um, especially to authority. And when I say sovereign, that means that waiting to pour out future grace into our hearts, into our lives and our experiences with our spouses, he is looking for whether or not we're open to a visitation of repentance and uh, what forgiveness that comes out of that between spouses. Um, it's, it's the vision that Paul gave Timothy <clears throat> of a pitcher of water that's being poured out that is never ending. That is the grace of God is never ending. And that's even when we are in rebellion and in sin. It is amazing. So is there anything that's been on your mind these days? It's like, man, this it's something that you're compelled to share with people when you come across them, whether it's your clients or just as you move about in life. Is there something that's like, hey, this is kind of a most important thing to me or the thing I feel urged to share with folks? Is there anything like that that you would like to share with people today? The older I get and the longer I go into this, I've been doing it going into my 41st year. Um, the simplicity of the gospel is what I, I want to make sure finds its way into uh, the ears of the client who is receptive. And as I perceive the Holy Spirit leading conversation, um, that I not fail to uh, present. There are so many that are not believers that, of course, need Christ. And um, you wait until your work is done, where you, in a competent and economic manner, in a satisfactory manner, in fact, an exemplary manner, get your work done right. And at that point, there may be an opportunity that avails itself that you've earned uh, to share the gospel. Uh, many people have come back and said, why did you stick with me? Why are you the way you are? Why, is, why are the people in your firm that way? Why is it so family oriented? And if I haven't done my work well, if, if we don't have uh, the, the, the objectives met, then that never happens. So why would I ever imagine doing anything less than excellent work for a client if that is going to be the means of earning the opportunity to share the, uh, the worldview and the perspective I have that's been given to me by Christ? 
Do you see examples of Christ-like radical grace ever? Now, give us an encouraging snippet of some person who comes in and truly loves their enemy in the middle of all the litigation and the trouble, and it, and it leads to something that's hopefully even shocking and breathtaking to you. Do you have any examples like that? Yes. Um, there are examples of uh, recently a man came in uh, who was facing the separation uh, based upon what his wife wanted to do with her life, uh, breaking away from the family. And uh, for him, the awareness that the marriage had been brought forth in a strand of three, both were Christians, she's in rebellion, but the Holy Spirit is present, that he needs to cleave to the Holy Spirit and have that inner conversation with him during the day. And comfort and guidance and wisdom comes from that. And that changed his uh, his attitude toward her from being slightly judgmental, um, somewhat superior. I'm in the right place. She's in the wrong place. And um, the conversation resumed between them, whether it eventually leads to a reconciliation, that's a work in progress. But one thing that I sense that she is going to have to contend with is that she will never find a man who loves her as much as this man does and wants to be her friend, her companion. And so that's giving her an ultimate choice. Um, those are the kinds of circumstances you would, you would like to see your client move into for believing uh, spirit-filled clients. And as they move into that position, you just entrust the work of the Holy Spirit to change the heart of the spouse. Well, Dana, it's the time I told you flies when you do this. We should have done an hour. But I thank you for joining me and for what you do and the way that you do it, in particular the help that you gave to my friend. Um, it's certainly noticed and appreciated. And if listeners would like to reach out to Dana, you can find him at the hailball.com website. That's H-A-L-E-B-A-L-L.com. A recording of this program can be found at thegraceand30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and MixCloud. The show will also re-air on this station this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. This is Ed and Dana signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. <laughs>